Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 15 of the Flying Free Podcast. This is Natalie Hoffman, and it's just me again today. Rachel and I are having a hard time connecting to do another recording, but we are working on that. And in the meantime, I thought that I would just kind of talk off the cuff a little bit about an article that I'm actually in the middle of writing for the blog, the Flying Free blog, but I thought I would just talk about some of my ideas here. Um, The subject is going to be on what a woman goes through when she first separates from her abusive husband, if she decides to go that route. And, um, and really kind of, I, th- I think we instinctively know that we have all of these things to face if we do separate and it's what makes us not want to separate. And there's so many reasons, so many practical, uh, pragmatic reasons not to separate from a spouse. It's, um, I wrote a blog article a while ago called, um, 10, the 10 steps out of hell, uh, I can't I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Anyway, um, if you go look up 10 steps on my website, you'll find it. And it basically just talks about the different hot ladder rungs of getting out of the pit of abuse. And those ladder rungs are so hot that you just, every time you step on one, it's just, it's so hot that you want to let go and you'd rather just let go and fall back down into the pit of abuse again than keep trying to climb. It's just so, so hard to get out. But there are so many women on the top of that pit that are cheering you on if you are just starting to contemplate making that climb. And I for sure am up there cheering you on. Um, I help women get out. I've made the climb myself and I know how hard it is. I recently saw a meme on Facebook that it was, it was called to Peace Ministries who put a meme out that basically gave a checklist um, I'm trying to remember what she called it, uh, a checklist of things that a survivor, a survivor's to-do list, that's what it was. And she had just a very few things on there. And I was thinking when I read it, I thought, yeah, that's on, that was on my to-do list along with about 500,000 other things. The to-do list for a survivor just absolutely never ends. And here are some of the things that were on my to-do list and see if you can relate to some of this. First of all, when you I had a lot of kids, um, but it doesn't really matter how many kids you have. I guess the more kids you have, the more a little bit it gets a little more complex. But um, even if you just have a couple of kids or three kids, it still is very complicated because those kids have needs. And um, usually, when you are living with your partner, even though they're emotionally abusive, they are picking up some of the slack. Um, you know, you're not doing absolutely everything, and so. But when you separate you find out that one of the ways they get you back is to basically put everything in your lap. You were doing almost everything before, but now you've got to do everything, everything. And it just gets a little overwhelming because, um, well, here are some things that I would put on my to-do list that that were on my to-do list. Number one, you still have to do all of the things that you did before. So that means you're still doing, uh, if you're like me, I'm going off of my experience and off of the experience of most of the women that I've worked with, but um, your experience may not be exactly the same, but you know, you're still doing all of the laundry. You're still doing all of the meal planning, all of the grocery shopping, all of the meal preparation, all of the meal cleanup. 
you're still doing all of the um, taking or making the appointments, the doctor's appointments, the dentist appointments, the orthopedics appointments, other normal things. Um, you're st- you're going to the parent-teacher conferences. Um, if you've got any special needs kids, you're taking them to their, you know, uh, I had one with speech therapy. I had an autistic child who was going to um, evaluations. I was filling out mounds and mounds of paperwork for him and for another special needs child. Um, so I had IEP appointments. Did I say that? Um, I was, I was going to the doctor a lot because I had anxiety related, um, and depression related symptoms in my body. So I was, I had heart palpitations. I was having asthma attacks. I was having, um, GERD. I developed GERD. I was having muscle, uh, extreme muscle pain in certain areas of my body. I had insomnia. I was having migraines and vision problems. Um, I had to take care of all of the house repairs because he wasn't coming in to do that anymore. So that means I had to pay for it. I was working a full-time job in the home, so and I, I had to keep doing that. Um, I had to take care of my own car repairs, pay for those. I had to take care of my own oil changes, Um, I had to separate our finances and then manage my own finances. Um, I was also dealing with at the same time, once in a while, I I had one gal, lady friend of mine stop in, just drop in on me out of the blue and give me a lecture on how I was living life wrong and that how I was not loving my family in the choices that I was making. And I I sat there, you know, listening to that, just overwhelmed by life and thinking, this person has absolutely no idea who she's talking to or what my life is like or what I am trying to hold together by myself. Instead of, you know, instead of bringing me some encouraging words or praying with me, she brought me a lecture. And she wasn't the only one who tried to convince me that I was not serving my family well, when all I was doing was really just trying to follow Jesus Christ and be obedient to him in the face of tremendous opposition from all of the people that I loved the most in my life. So not only are you doing all of those daily things, um, I, I don't think I mentioned just cleaning the house and I, I don't think I mentioned at all um, dealing with kids and all of their issues. Yeah, that, that's a whole nother layer, uh, layers and layers to this thing. The kids have their own emotional issues because of what they have observed in your marriage, what they've experienced themselves. If there's emotional abuse in, in your marriage, there's emotional abuse in going on in their lives as well. Your life is falling apart, so you have a lot less patience with what's going on. Your stress tolerance level is very, very low. You're physically exhausted. And when you're exhausted, you have very little, well, you have very little hope for the future. You have very little, uh, it's, it's just tremendously hard to deal with extra stressors that children just naturally bring to the table because they're children, right? I mean, God did not really, God meant for children to be raised by two people, 
who are working together to meet those emotional, not just the physical needs of those children, but those emotional, those deep emotional connections that those children need. A lot of times women are, um, they may not have a job like I did in the home, but they are trying, desperately trying to find jobs and they're working multiple jobs, not career type of jobs, but jobs that are, you know, odds and ends kind of jobs that are maybe great for when you're in college, but not so great when you're, you know, 48 years old and you're trying to feed a family. Um, a lot of times, too, the um, spouse that's separated is not, you know, they're not, they're not meeting you halfway. They're not coming to the table and trying to continue to provide for you. They're actually pulling out the rug from under you because they're getting you back. If you're not going to stay with them and collude with them and give meet their needs and tell them that they're amazeballs and that you know, and say that you are responsible for everything and let them off the hook for everything. If you're not going to do that anymore, they're, they're going to make sure that you pay, but they're going to make sure that you pay in very underhanded ways that you can't really, you know, point your finger at. And, and in ways that if you try to point it out, other people will make excuses for it. So, and that's the other thing too, what, what other people are seeing when they look at this whole situation is that they're seeing a woman who is in fight mode, all right? She might have been in flight mode before, but now she's in fight mode because she's fighting for her emotional and spiritual well-being. She's fighting for her life on a level that is different from maybe fighting for your life if a tiger is running after you, but it is the same thing. And because she's in fight mode, she is desperately trying to survive and she's looking to community to help her with this because we were not created to be alone. We weren't created to be loners, lone rangers. We were created to have community that would come together and support one another and help each other through the hard times. But because, but this is the very time that the people that she needs the most, the people that she's poured her life into over the years, this is the time that they actually abandon her. And one of the reasons they abandon her is because she's breaking down their, you know, comfortable structure that is, you know, the status quo by her truth telling And because she's fighting, they don't like it. It looks like it doesn't look very good. When women fight, it doesn't look, people don't, our culture doesn't really like that. They don't accept that. Um, they, and, and what they're, and what they're seeing him doing on the other hand is he's very, he doesn't, he has no scruples when it comes to lying, pretending, faking. So he comes across and he is coming across like the victim. He's crying all of a sudden. So where she's been spending years crying on her bathroom floor, begging God for help, where nobody can see her, now she's not doing that anymore. He is crying. Only he's not doing it. He's not doing it in secret on his bathroom floor. He's doing it in front of the people that he knows are strategic to cry in front of. He's doing it in front of the people that he knows if they see him cry, they're going to feel bad for him. They're going to see her fighting. They're going to see him crying. And what are they going to think? 
of course they're going to think that she's the one that's got the problem. And the reality of all of those years is it doesn't matter what happened to her. They're going to believe the exact opposite. This is probably the most, probably the most traumatic thing that you will go through. And it's even, so it's, it's bad when your Christian friends turn their back on you. It's even worse when your family turns their back on you. And it's even exponentially worse when your own children take sides in the whole thing. And, but so just know, you know, that that's a very real possibility. Does it happen to everybody? No, but it happens to more people than it doesn't happen to. Um, and every child is going to be different. Your children are, some of your children, depending on their ages and their personalities and their relationship with you and their relationship with their dad. Um, and a lot of other factors, how many of them there are, um, it really, how, how rooted they are in, uh, in, you know, what kind of the way that they view life is really going to determine how they're going to react to you and the situation. And so um, some are going to do really, really well through the whole thing, and some of them are going to completely fall apart. I think it's important to actually get help from them on the outside. They're not going to get a very objective point of view from either you or your husband. Um, you're going to be panicked and that's going to ruin your credibility for them. And your husband is going to be manipulative and they're going to fall for his, you know, his games more than likely, especially if they have felt, if they have not felt loved or accepted by him in the past. Um, if he's going to use them now to manipulate you or to hurt you, which they often do this, unfortunately, then the kids are, they're very vulnerable and susceptible to that kind of manipulation because they desperately want to be loved and accepted by their dad. So they're going to go along with what their dad is saying, because when they do that, he showers them with love and acceptance. Um, so Here's the thing. If you are going to be like him and just be a conniving liar, you could probably convince people much more easily than by just being yourself, being a panicked cat in a corner. <laughs> so, and why is this? I don't know. I, it doesn't really make any rational sense. I, I really believe that when we're dealing with abuse, we are dealing with a misogynistic, uh, a, it's a consequence of misogyny in our culture. It's certainly in the Christian culture and it, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual, this is a spiritual battle that's being fought and we're seeing it. We can't see what's going on in the spiritual realm, but we can certainly see what's going on in the earthly realm. And just like people can't see what's happened to you behind closed doors, people can't see what's going on. Um, I love Madeline La Engel's, you know, uh, they tesseract, they test, am I saying that right? I can't remember. Anyway, in the book, um, oh my gosh, I should have come prepared. I can't even remember the book. It was just made into a movie. I wish you guys could talk back to me and help me out here. You're saying it out loud right now. If you're listening in the car, you're screaming it at me, but I can't hear you. Um, I know she, the only book I can think of is a swiftly tilting planet, but it's the one before that. That's the sequel. Ah, it's the most popular one. Can't remember. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about? Madeline Langlet's It's a great movie. It's a great book. Um, these people, they go through, Oh, 
a wrinkle in time. They go through this wrinkle and they're in an alternate reality and a different world. And I kind of, in my imagination, I imagine that kind of being what eternity is like. It's right here on the other side. It's right with us. We're actually just a wrinkle in time away from eternity and away from that spiritual realm that we can't see. And so what, what, wherever you are in your life, you are part of something, something that's so much more profound and so much bigger than what you can possibly imagine. You are a casualty in a war that is astronomical and it's being fought out really on a, on a universal scale. Um, so what do we do about this? I mean, how do we, how do we deal with this traumatic experience? How do we deal with the pain of, of so much rejection from the people that we love, from the people that we've trusted, even while we are in the midst of literally drowning in responsibilities as well as, I mean, I didn't even mention in that to-do list, she's also making appointments with her attorney and she's trying to get you know, gather up enough money to pay for uh, legal fees. She's making appointments with mediators. She's making appointments, you know, if there's a guardian ad litem involved, she's making appointments for her children to visit with that person. She's answering. It's just, it's just, it's so, it's so overwhelming. I, I don't even, I can't even remember all of the things I did. I just remember feeling at that time, like, I was literally drowning and suffocating, and I couldn't see how it would ever end. So here's what I want. I don't want to leave you. (laughs) Should we just leave it there? And that's the way life is. And so that's it for today. Fly free. No, I'm not going to leave you there. Um, I'm going to give you some ideas for how to view your life right now. First of all, you need to see this time in your life as a season. It is not going to last forever. My mom always used to say, it's always the darkest before the dawn. I think that's a famous quote, but I don't remember the famous person who said it. I just remember my mother saying it. It's always darkest before the dawn. And um, all, just like all good things come to an end, all bad things come to an end as well. All right. Even if Well, I won't go there. Um, But so you need to expect, though, that things are going to get worse before they get better. Okay? Expect that. Things are going to fall apart. And just when you think, oh, I've described it like this before, and I've actually seen other people describe it like this, it's like an earthquake. You, You know, the earthquake hits, and it does a great deal of damage at first, but then there are aftershocks, And you're not always expecting that, but the aftershocks can also do a lot of damage. So the earthquake is when you first leave your home or he leaves your home. And then there's going to be aftershocks that keep coming for several months after that, possibly even years after that. Um, I'm still experiencing aftershocks and and I'm a few years out. So um, the second thing is use use the internet, use Google. Let Google become your very, very best friend. Every time I had a question about the divorce process, about finances as a single woman, about um, prepare uh, about divorcing a narcissist, 
um, about custody stuff. Every single question I had, I Googled it. I was Googling all day long. Well, no, I wasn't Googling all day long because I was doing all of those other things. I was Googling late into the night. So, but I was Googling, okay? So I looked up and, and, and you know, the, the internet is this incredible resource and there's a bazillions of people out there that have already gone through what you've gone through. So they're answering these questions in forums and they're writing articles and they're doing YouTube videos and there is just every question that you have, you can find answers out there on the internet. Now, are they all, you know, great answers? No, but there are some really good answers out there and we all have to be discerning, right? We can read 10 different answers to a problem and we have to use our discernment and our discretion as to what is the best answer for us because not every answer is going to be, um, you know, someone might say, just take a bunch of pills and be done with it. Well, you don't really want to do that. So, um, and then thirdly, I, I use my imagination a lot. I've always done that since I was a kid. When I was a kid and things got really, really boring, I would pretend that I was Laura Ingalls Wilder from the Little House on the Prairie show that I used to watch. And, um, you know, her life had to be kind of boring too. I mean, think about it. She went to school and she did chores and she dealt with Nellie Olson. And that was probably the most exciting thing. Well, you know, the, the show was kind of there was always some kind of adventure to be had. So maybe her life was more exciting than mine. I don't know. But anyways, now, you know what I, what I would imagine when I was going through this is I would try to imagine myself as a queen. And if you've ever, right now, my girls and I are watching Victoria on, I think it's on, is it on Netflix? Anyway, we're watching Victoria and it's about the life of Queen Victoria. And she went through a lot of tough things but she was always queenly. She didn't, well, and sometimes she did kind of fall apart and get emotional and she went through postpartum depression and she, she had problems. Okay. Her life wasn't peachy as a, as a queen. Um, some of her problems were bigger than others, but she maintained a sense of composure, even in the midst of very difficult situations. So survey, I tell people to survey the landscape and make the decisions that you need to make today, make those decisions today, and leave tomorrow's decisions to tomorrow, because you cannot take on the burden of the entire year in front of you today. So there's no point. You have to keep your head down and do what you need to get done today and, and worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And that's, of course, also God teaches us that in the word, in his, in the Bible, when he, I don't remember the, where the verse is, but you know what I'm talking about. If you're a woman of faith listening to this, um, and if you're not, just Google it. So number four, if you make a mistake and you will, for example, some of the mistakes I made were um, like, I know one of the mistakes I made was trying to convince other people that I was telling the truth. I view that as a mistake now. I should have just I would even try to share details and the details were just, you know what emotional abuse is. It's so inane. I mean, it's like, okay, um, he told me that this didn't happen, but I know that it really did. Well, how are other people, how is anybody going to know what you're saying is true or not? It's a he said, she said thing. You, you can't prove emotional abuse. You can't prove that your husband did or didn't do something, said or didn't say something. It's something that you... 
that it's something that you need healing for, that I need healing for, to be able to stand in your reality regardless of whether or not anybody believes you. Because you know that God saw it happen, you saw it happen, maybe your children saw it happen, although they're going to have a selective memory as well because they're children and they are forgetting. How? Speaking of that, that's one of the things too, one of the ways that this is so traumatizing is that you're, I actually just read an article that said people who have been emotionally abused, they've done brain studies, your amygdala, which is the small stem part of your brain in the back of your skull, that that's your fight, fight, or flight, or freeze uh, little thingy. And that actually gets bigger so that you are much, you're triggered much more easily. So something as simple as calling someone who's been abusive to you in the past on the phone is terrifying. Now, in reality, can that person you know, kill you over the phone? No. But for some reason, you're terrified to call them because of the way that they might, you know, the little things they might say, the sideways, you know, their tone of voice or whatever. It's very terrifying. And so that because your amygdala is big. And then, but the other thing that happens when they looked at these brain scans is that your frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex, which is in the front part of your head, um, that's your your center of reasoning, your thinking, your reasoning processes, your short-term memory. That part of your brain shrinks, like physically shrinks. So your short-term memory, it basically well, pretty much sucks, okay? You can't remember things. So you can have an altercation with your husband or a child, and you can go to your room and try to write it down. You should go to your room and write it down so you can remember it later because you'll never remember it later. Sometimes, I mean, I would do this. Sometimes I couldn't even remember it by the time I got to my room. I've so many times I've had to ask one of my other children, what just happened? Do you remember the details? Do you remember what was said? And they've had to tell me. Um, they don't even remember a lot of stuff that happened because they're, they were traumatized and they shut it down. And so if you try to tell them what happened, they don't remember. It's, it's almost pointless. So it's, a, it's pointless to try to convince other people because um, you're, you're actually having a hard time convincing yourself unless you write it down. That's why, I, I, again, write things down in your journal. Write these in. It's not keeping a record of wrongs. You're trying to gather your sanity in your senses about you so that you can see what's actually going on in your relationship with this person. Um, and then... May get help for your kids. Your kids, I think I mentioned this before, get outside help. I, I think I mentioned it, but I didn't actually take it to the, I didn't actually finish the thought. You need to get help for your kids so that they, meaning outside help. So bring in people who understand trauma, who understand emotional abuse, who understand spiritual abuse. And have your kids talk to those people, whether it's a professional licensed counselor, if you can afford that, or your insurance will pay for it, or a friend who understands. Um, they need to be able to talk about what's going on, and they need to be able to hear that it's going to be okay, that they're going to be okay, that they're not going to die, that their life is going to go on, that it's not their fault what's going on that it's not their responsibility to take care of their mother and their dad. That's their mom and dad's responsibility. Just teaching them really good boundaries and resiliency skills 
there is a website called, well, it's a journal, but there's a whole website. I can't remember what it's called, but the journal is called, I think it's called the big, the big life journal. And, um, if you Google that, see, there's that Google again. If you Google that, I think you'll find the website. They've got like downloadable printable things and you can buy posters and stuff that actually teach resiliency to kids. And that's what your kids really need to learn. But it would be nice if they could learn it in the context, not where you're teaching them, but where someone else is teaching them. Oh, let's see. Oh, and then I was just going to say too, um, oh, I I don't think I finished the Little House on the Prairie thought. Oh, the queen thought. Yeah. So think of yourself as a queen, but also, so how do you, so that's how you should think of yourself, but think of. I think one of the problems that we run into is that we view other people as bigger than God and bigger than us. So we kind of see ourselves as these kind of either stupid children or vulnerable children or helpless, hopeless children. And we see these other people as adults that have it all together and they must know and they must be the rational, intelligent ones. And that's actually not true. You're not actually a child. And they're not actually necessarily a rational adult. But here's the reality. You're all sheep. And some of those sheep are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. But you're all, and then Jesus is our shepherd. So get the other picture out of your mind of like all of my mommies and daddies and I'm the little kid. That picture has to go and replace it with this picture of Jesus Christ as the shepherd and you are one of his sheep, one of his lambs. Your chil- maybe you could picture your children as being his little lambs, and you are a sheep, a mommy sheep. And these other people who are in your life who are manipulative or abusing you, or maybe they're just enabling the abusers. Maybe you've got these wolves in sheep's clothing that are secretly trying to bite you in the rear end. But then you've got these other sheep that are, and you're going, no, look at, it's not a real sheep. There's a wolf hiding under there. And then all these other sheep, they're real sheep. The other sheep are real sheep. And they're saying to you, bah, no, it's not. This is my friend. This is my, you know, this is my son. This is my brother. He's my friend. And he's a real sheep. And you're saying, no, no, you don't understand. He's actually a wolf. And they're not believing you. Well, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter what the wolf in sheep's clothing thinks. They're always going to hate you. It doesn't matter what the other sheep think. They're not going to like you if you don't agree with them. The only thing that matters is your shepherd and what he thinks. So imagine yourself as this sheep and just go over to your shepherd and just lay down next to him. He's sitting, imagine he's sitting on a big rock And he's got your little child, your little lamb in his arms, and he's singing to your child, and he's got another hand on your back or your head, and he's stroking your little woolly hair with his fingers and telling you how much he loves you. And his opinion is the only thing that counts, okay? So I know you're drowning. I've been there, and I know it's scary, but... I also know that you are in good hands and Jesus Christ will never, ever, ever abandon you. He will never, ever disbelieve you or discount your feelings and your emotions 
or your experience, he knows your experience better than you do. In fact, he knows that you have minimized your experience, the trauma, the trauma of your experience. In order to survive, you have. He knows that it's far worse than what you could probably ever imagine. But he is with you and he's going to walk you, not just at the beginning. He's not going to walk you through just the middle. He's not going to leave you at any step of the way. He's going to walk with you all the way to the end. And when it's all over, he's going to welcome you home. And he's going to make sure that the truth of what's going on in this world today is revealed. He promises that. There's a verse, again, I'm horrible at references, but there's a verse in the Bible that says that all things that have been hidden will come to light. All right, that's all I have for you today. Fly free.